So if you have your copy of God's Word, we want to be in the book of Deuteronomy today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very familiar passage and a passage that highlights God's charge to His people before they were to enter the promised land. And it's a charge that details how they were to live among the nations that lived there. They were to be distinct by the way they conducted themselves. Their faith was distinct. It was strange. And uh, as they lived there in that land, they were... God's testimony to the world. They were to be salt and they were to be light. And we need this charge this morning because if we're honest with ourselves, listen, the church is supposed to be distinct from the world. We're supposed to be living, bearing witness and testifying of the God who has redeemed us. And there's a promised land that we're walking towards and we're going to enter in one day. And that's a living hope that we carry in our hearts. And so God speaks to us this morning here in this familiar passage. And as we've been studying the attributes of God all year long and a couple of the names of God, we've discovered there's God, there's no God like our God, amen? There is none like Him, and, and the great confession that's made here, He alone is God, He is one, there's only one true God, and, and we saw that earlier in this month, in, uh, several months ago when we walked through this passage, but uh, we're going to look at it a little differently today. But as we study those attributes and, and those names, what we should discover is this, there's no God like our God. And you and I are supposed to respond to this truth that we have discovered in particular ways. And so over the next six weeks, as we finish out this study this year, what we're going to do is going to look at how we should be responding to God and realizing if this is who He is, and if this is what He has done, as we've studied all year, then we ought worship a God this morning that is worthy of our love. He's worthy to serve. He's worthy to obey. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy to seek each and every day. He's worthy to put our faith in, to trust in Him. If you know God in this way, as we've studied all year, then there should be some proper response from you and from me. To reject Him would just say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But since we do know Him as He is, we're drawn, we're wooed to Him, and now we are supposed to respond in a particular way. And we opened this section of Scripture, as I said, just a couple months ago, we were here, and we looked at the attribute of God's oneness, His unity. While a triune God, three persons, is one God, that's our faith. It's, it's alien to the world around us. It doesn't make sense to them. Either they worship the many gods or they worship one God, like Islam does. But those aren't real gods. Our God's the one true God. And because we've discovered that, we turn back to this passage and you say, well, Pastor Chris, I've already marked it up. I've already read this several times. Well, this is the beauty of this word right here. I love this book, okay? Why? Because it reveals God. God speaks to us and he tells us who he is and what he's like. And the amazing thing is about this word is even as I come back to it, it's amazing because you can't plumb the depths of it. There's so much that you can uncover and the Spirit of God can give us understanding. And it's kind of like a precious diamond, right? Now, guys, you know how expensive those things are, right? <laughs> Amen, yeah. Especially the ones that are cut a particular ways, right? And, and they have all those facets. And, and as you hold that diamond up to the light and the light shines in it, it just shimmers and shines and sparkles, right? And she says, ooh, look at that bling, right? And that's like this word. You come back to it and you turn it just a little bit and you look at it. Oh, wow, I didn't see that last time. Oh, wow, I turned, wow I didn't see that last time. Oh, I focus so much on this, I didn't see that aspect of it. And that's why when we come to the Word, David would say in the Psalms, Oh, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things out of thy law. 
This word speaks, and God wants to speak to us. And let's be honest, sometimes we need to hear it again and again. Amen? Amen? To make it stick and be reminded, oh, I forgot that. That's important to my faith. That's an important way that I should live. And so as we open the word, our passion this morning is to hear God speak to us, to hear him, to open our eyes. Listen, not just our physical eyes, but the eyes of my heart, that I might see him as he truly is, and that I might know how I should respond to him. This should be our passion. Because see, this word, this truth, is what transforms our lives. This is what changes us. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and helps to apply it to our hearts so that you and I have a filter, a way of looking at life and living a life that's empowered by God's grace and by His mercy and by the Spirit of God to live out what we read herein. And so I want to know how to transform my life, the ways I think, the ways I speak, the ways I live, the way I relate to my spouse, the way I relate to my children and parenting, the way we should relate to our parents. All these things God speaks to us in this passage in particular speaks about having families of faith and families of faith that love God. And that's what we're going to discover today and focus on in a particular verse. And we sang it just a moment ago, how you and I, the great commandment that we're supposed to obey. And we're going to focus on that in verse 5. But I want you to stand with me as we read the first six verses so we can get into the text this morning and allow God's Word to speak to us, the one true God that we learned about several months ago. Now, notice this. I'm going to highlight a couple things as we go through that I didn't highlight last time. But notice in verse 1, now this is the singular commandment And these, plural, are the statutes and the judgments, one commandment, many statutes, many judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. All the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And Father, may that be our heart's desire that you inscribe, chisel that word on our hearts so that our lives are transformed and made new. And thank you, Father, that you speak to us with a living word, a relevant word, even for the age in which we live, Lord, so that we might live as the people of God in a world that doesn't acknowledge you and doesn't recognize you, Lord, and that we might raise multiple generations of faithful families, Lord, faithfulness, Lord, in our children, our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, to the thousands, God. That's our heart's desire. May it begin in us even today, Lord. May we be the one that you work in and through, Lord, as we hear truth and apply it in our lives. Word of God, speak to us today. Spirit of God, apply it today. And may our hearts be changed forever for you, Jesus. It's in your powerful name. We all pray this morning. Amen. 
Amen. You may be seated. Listen, you may know this passage well, and you may know the context, but for those who don't, here's the deal. Moses is writing to God's people. He's charging them, giving them the law. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why would you wander in a wilderness for 40 years? Well, their fathers, their fathers were faithless. They lacked the faith to believe what God said was theirs and to go forward in faith. God had brought them right to the cusp of the promised land. The spies had gone in and seen, man, this is an awesome place. We really need to take it. At least Joshua and Caleb said that, but 10 other spies said no. And because the faith of the, of the people was such that they didn't have faith, they couldn't enter into the promised land. And so they had to do some laps in the wilderness. And so for 40 years, they did laps in the wilderness. Why? God had to destroy a whole generation of faithlessness and raise up another generation and give them that opportunity. And so what you have is all those who've been born. Now listen, those who wandered for 40 years, they weren't the ones, these right here that have been brought to this point, they aren't the ones who saw God do all the miraculous things in Egypt. They didn't see the displays of his power with all of the plagues. They didn't experience the death angel. They didn't even experience walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. It was Joshua and Caleb that that did that. And so God has raised up a generation now. And they are about to enter in. And as they're about to go in to this promised land, God speaks through his prophet Moses once again and gives them the law a second time. In fact, over in chapter 5, you can see and you can read there. The amazing thing is God gave them the Ten Commandments a second time. He repeated it to them again. And it's the same. God's word never changes. It's the same. And the amazing thing about God's word and God's prophet speaking it is he reminded them, listen, you're going into a land. Listen, you need to know the promises of God. You need to know God's word. You need to know the distinctions that you should possess and be as God's people. And you need to know God is faithful to everything that he has said. So believe the promises. And here's the standards that we're to live by as the people of God. Now, he reminds them also there's no God like our God. Our God's not seen. He's heard. He speaks to us even from a fire, right? In fact, when they went up, when God gave the word and spoke to Moses on the mountain, remember the people said, that's thunder, that's light. We're not going up there. Moses, you go on our behalf. And Moses did go. And he brought the word down to God's people. And now he brings the word to this generation that's about to go in to the promised land. Now listen, if you remember from the sermon a couple months ago, maybe you wrote these words in the margin of your Bible. If you didn't, you should write these down. I'm not going to repeat that sermon, but I do want you to make sure you know this. Because this is the critical part of the text. Because what he does in verse 4 is he reminds them, this is our great confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. There is only one true God. And the amazing thing, He's triune. The three persons are one. All fully God. Now I'm not going to go over that sermon from back a couple, weeks, a couple months ago. But there's a great confession everybody has to make. Now, when you make the great confession, if you've made the great confession that you believe in the triune God and the God who sent his son to die for us and and to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be saved. And now you're filled with the spirit of God as one of his children walking by the spirit, walking in truth, walking by faith. Then also you want to obey the great commandment. That's what we're going to focus on today. Verse five. The great commandment is this. The great commandment is... 
the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God expects those who confess him to obey him. I mean, how can you profess that he is the one true God, the Lord who reigns and rules over all things, and then not obey him? And then the fruit of that is born by our great commitment to him. As we obey the Lord, verses 6 through 9, detail in particular ways how we obey him and it's made in our commitment. And that commitment affects our families in a particular way. And so this is the great confession. This is the great commandment. This is our great commitment that we would love God as he has first loved us. Now, woven into spiritual fiber, the moral fiber of God's people right here, are two important principles that we see back in verse 1 and then repeated down in verses 5 and following. Now, notice this in verse 1. I highlighted this. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments. Is there one commandment that's supreme above all the other statutes, all the other precepts, all the other judgments that God is given? Is there one that stands out that we should no. Yeah, there is one. It's down in verse 5. And the commandment that we're to, is to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, as I say that, it's important to understand that the commandment is similar in this sense that the commandment is to teach our children to fear the Lord our God. And to fear him is to obey him. By the way, what does it mean to love him? Well, Jesus said to love him is to do what? To obey him. These things go together. You'll find it if you read over in the New Testament as well. That as we conduct ourselves, Peter would say, in our stay here on this earth, we're to conduct ourselves in a holy reverence and fear of God. Why? Because we love him. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You see, reverence of God is the recognition of who he is. It's a recognition that God is God and we're not. Amen. And that he reigns and he rules and we're to order our lives since we're made in his image and we're to live in a way that brings glory and honor to his name, responding to all the grace and mercy that he has extended to us. And we reverence him. In fact, as we've studied the attributes of God, there should be a holy wonder and standing in awe of who God is. And we stand back in reverence because there's no God like our God. Tell me the God who's transcendent overall and yet eminent involved in his creation. Tell me the God that is merciful, gracious, loving, holy, righteous. Tell me that God. Tell me the one that is zealous and jealous for you and for me. Tell me the one that is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Tell me the one that is infinite. Tell me the one that is immutable. Tell me the one that is incomprehensible. We stand back in awe, in reverence, because there's no God like our God. And we fear him. Now, this is the scary thing in the culture in which we live. There's not much fear in the eyes of man of God. And what happens when you don't fear God is, listen, you don't reverence him and you think you're God. Or you make some other God, right? And you see what happens is there's a lack of fear and reverence for God today. And and, and yet my responsibility, your responsibility, is to teach this to our children and our grandchildren. Multiple generations of faithfulness. Hey, I love Thanksgiving. I love holidays, don't you? Amen. I mean, I love, no, we didn't have any banana pudding. That's okay. You know, uh, I mean, at the dinner table, you know, we had plenty of deviled eggs and all that other good stuff, man. Mm, Yum, 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 right? We also had family. It's always good to be with family. Amen. We cherish that. Now, some of you are glad you saw the red lights today as they were leaving. Amen. I know. Okay. 
I know, smile and say, yes, amen, preacher. Right? We love it. Here, listen, if you're an empty nester and they left, your influence, listen, hasn't stopped. According to God's word, we have a responsibility to our children and grandchildren to teach them to fear and reverence God. They should see that in our lives. Now, why would God say we have a responsibility to the third generation? Well, that's because sin affects the third and the fourth generation. You see, when you read the law over in Exodus chapter 19, what you discover is this, is if we don't honor the one true God because there's only, first commandment, there's only one God, and no, 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 don't worship anyone other than Him. In fact, don't cut out idols, second commandment uh, of Him because you can't limit Him in any way. In fact, watch your W, watch your words, because you know what? You don't take his name in vain. You need to ascribe to him who he truly is. Not as you think him to be, or I think him to be, but as he truly is. And when we don't do that, when we worship things other than God, God says, listen, I'll visit the iniquities of the fathers to how many generations? The third and fourth generation. It's like a a funnel, right? The sin starts with the father. It affects the son, the grandson, the great-grandson. Three or four generations. But praise God, sin can peter out. How does that happen? Well, you invert that that funnel in, in this way. And if someone will make a decision to fear God and reverence him, and then they begin to teach those precepts and principles that God has, you know, the statutes and the judgments and the supreme commandment on which they all hang, which is verse 5. If they'll do that, then God says, listen, to that one that loves me, do you know what I'll extend? I'll extend my hesed, my love to them all the way down to the thousands. Now imagine that. There's not been a thousand generations on this earth yet. And yet God's love extends in this picture almost of infinite. Just all those years where God's faithfulness, his love is extended by one person making a decision. And as you teach the next generation and the next generation to fear God, sin can peter out. It doesn't have to continue. Praise God, there's hope today. I don't know what your past is. I know what mine is. But I know I've seen grace come into my home. I've seen grace come into my family's home and begin to to slow that sin that's passed. Passed on from generation to generation. And now I want to see the Hesed, the God's faithful, his covenant love to the thousands. And that's what we pray for. And that's our responsibility to teach our sons and grandsons, our daughters and granddaughters, to, the, to, the, to teach them to reverence him and to fear him. Don't lose your influence. Listen, you say they're gone for the holidays. Well, you got three weeks maybe till they're coming back for Christmas. Pray for earnestly for opportunities to speak into the lives of, their, of your descendants and show them the reverence of God in your heart and in your life by the way you live and that you fear him and you obey the great commandment. That's the opportunity that's before us. You pray for that earnestly and ask God to help you. This this fear of God is so critical, not just for Israel, it's critical for our nation today. You stop and look at everything that's faltering in our society, everything that's crushing, crashing down in our culture. And what you realize is we've lost the fear of God. And when you lose the fear of God, you lose certain social values and norms that are the way we conduct ourselves and live in a particular way. And when you lose that, men do as they want to do. They live as they want to live. And what we know is a recent survey reveals that Americans have lost trust in nearly every single American institution. Why? 
What's all crumbling because no one fears God? God has been erased or it's almost like he's disappeared from our belief system. And what happens is there's lawlessness. Praise God we don't live in San Francisco and some of these other big cities. Just sheer lawlessness. Why? No one fears God. No one fears judgment. No one fears that God is going to do what he says in his commandments. The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. And you lose that in a culture and Lord help us. Now, we don't fear him because he's going to smash us. We reverence him because of who he is. There's none like him. And he does have the power to judge us. And we fear that. We reverence that. We stand back in that truth and we say, wow, he's God and we're not. Now, I reverence him and I obey him. And the reason I do that is because I love him. Why? Because he loved me first. You see, what is the one commandment? On which all the law hangs. All the statutes. All the judgments. Remember when Jesus was questioned by the lawyer. Hey what's the greatest commandment? Tell us what it is. He says oh you know that. It's not even in the Exodus. It's, not, it's in, right here in Deuteronomy. You're to love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind and strength. In fact the second one is just like it. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus. On those two hang everything. In fact, Paul would say, listen, on one hangs it all. Love. Love God and those made in his image. Now stop and think about that. If I love God, why do all the others hang on that? If I love God, am I going to kill anybody? Well, probably not because I fear God. And I see the image of God in people around me. I'm not going to destroy that. If I fear God and I love him supremely, am I going to steal from people? No. Because I know the one that's my provider. I know he's faithful to provide what I have need. And whatever I do have is a gift from him. If I love God, am I going to lie to people? No, because I love truth. My God is the true God. And I'm going to speak the truth and I'm going to live for the truth. And I'm going to bear witness to the truth. That means, by the way, that we're not going to be silent about the truth. Because to be silent when you know the truth and not speak it, you know what that is? That's a false witness. And we're not going to bear false witness. We're going to speak the truth in Love. If I love God supremely, am I going to love my bride and keep my vows? Absolutely. Because you see, the picture that I have in here is is he has betrothed us to himself. Why wouldn't I want to live in a way that reflects my faith in what God has done for me? Am I going to covet and desire and want to have more of the 10th commandment? Those grabby hands, you know, coveting things. No, no, I know the one who supplies for me. And he's faithful to supply everything I have need at just the right time in just the right measure. But see, love, love for God is what's supreme. On it hangs all the other commandments, all the other statutes, all the other principles, all 618 of them, depending on how you count them here in the book of Exodus or in the book of Deuteronomy, that he gives. It all hangs on this one. And the God that we love and are to love is a God that's worthy of our love. Why? Hold your place right here. In fact, in the margin of your Bible, just write this. 7 dot dot 7. Why? Because that's Deuteronomy 7 7. Flip over there. Just flip the page, right? Look at this. Read this with me. I'm going to back up to verse 6, all right? Notice this, what Moses would continue saying. Verse 6 of 7, chapter 7. Ready? For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were 
more in number than any of the other people. For you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he who would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why do we love him? Moses says we love him because you know why? He first loved us. Do you know that today? Do you know that God first loved you? He first loved me. Our love is a response to his love. Moses says, listen, there wasn't nothing special about you. There was nothing significant about you. Realize this. You're a holy people. You're set apart to him. You're set apart as his people. Why? Because he chose you. He picked you. And as you realize that, you are a peculiar treasure, a special treasure to him. A people for himself. And your response, my response, is to respond to that love. That's what he told the people, the Israelites. Now, what's amazing, you say, well, that's the Israelites. What about us? What about, I mean, who, who are we? We're the church. Well, it's an amazing thing. If you go over uh, to First Peter chapter 2, it's fascinating that the same things that are said of the church here, uh, of Israel in, in Deuteronomy, are said of the church. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, a peculiar treasure. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Who were once not the people of God, but now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter would say, listen church, we're just like Israel. God chose us. We didn't choose him. He selected us before we said, oh, we respond to his love. He's made us a peculiar people. In fact, the whole book of Peter, 1 Peter, is this. We're just pilgrims marching through this land to a promised land. And our faith is going to look strange to the world around us. They should see, listen, the way we believe, the way we live, that you know what? We're different. Why? Not because we're aliens. But we are strangers. That's the connotation of alien. We are strangers in this land. This world is not our home. Man, I'm living for one. You're living for one. That's to come. Praise God, it's going to be a perfect one. Amen? Amen. We're to live that way. And that living that way is evidenced by the way we love Him with all of our heart. All of our soul. All of our mind. All of our strength. This is the greatest commandment. Now, the fascinating thing is... That commandment, those commandments that were written, those were written on stone. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain? It says he made two tablets and the the finger of God just wrote the letters and he wrote the Ten Commandments. And of course Moses came down and he had to to make a second set because the people had already played played the harlot, right? And turned away from loving God. But he made a second set. And you remember what they did with the second set when he brought them down? They put them in the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Well, you see, there was in the Ark of the Covenant the, the law that man's to live by. And above that was the mercy seat, and then above that was the cherubim wings. Why? That was placed in the Holy of Holies. God's presence was there. And it's a picture for you and me to be reminded this. And there is a standard that God calls for us to live by. But here's the sad reality. None of us can keep it. Anybody kept the whole law perfectly? I don't see a hand raised, even the preacher's. No, none of us can keep it. In fact, none of us can achieve the righteousness that's required. It's perfection, and none of us can. But here's the amazing thing. What's above the law 
the mercy of God, the mercy seat. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for mercy. That God doesn't give us what we deserve. But in love, he reaches towards us, and we didn't deserve it. He demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he paid the standard that none of us could pay. The righteous requirement of God was met at Calvary. Jesus lived the perfect life, achieved the righteousness we couldn't live, so that at Calvary he could pay the penalty that our sin deserved, and an exchange could take place by faith, by grace through faith. That you and I could say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I see a Savior who died for me. I want to put my faith in that sacrifice. And I want Him to save me from my sins. And when we do that, we are born again. And we become that holy nation, a part of it. We become a royal priesthood. We become His pilgrim priests now who live this world as His peculiar treasure. Why? So we can say, I once wasn't part of the family of God, but now I am. I once hadn't received mercy, but praise God, now I have. I once was in darkness. Praise God, now I'm in light. And we live that way, distinct, just like they did. And our life is to flow in love, wholehearted commitment to Him. Why? Because He first loved us. And because of that love, I should live my life with devotion to Him, in reverential fear. Man, He's God, and I'm not. And He's awesome. There's none like him. Praise God. Even though he's so much higher than anything you and I can imagine, he reached down for you and for me to save us. And in love, we run to him. And we recognize he loved us. You know the scary thing? As Paul says in the last days to Timothy, he says, Hey, Timothy, listen. In the last days, men are going to be lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, Lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. And they will have a form of godliness, a form of doing religious things, but no power therein. Be on guard. Be aware. I mean, we search our hearts and realize there's a God that we worship who's worthy of our love. And when we don't love him and reverence him for who he is and recognize what he's done, what happens is we begin to love the wrong things. Our love becomes misoriented. That's why you have a hedonistic culture that we live in today where man just seeks to please himself. And and, and hedonism is just the wrong orientation of love. It's not love rooted in who God is and what he's done. It's it's a self-love and and a self-gratification and a self-interest. And and this culture just, they'll just hand out big old plates full here. Find your satisfaction in this. The reality is it won't satisfy. In fact, John warned about that over in his epistle. He says, listen, children, don't love the world nor the things of the world. For all that's in the world is going to pass away. If anyone loves the, the, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I need a revival. We need a revival to recognize, listen, the love of God should be in our hearts. God, forgive us when we love the things of this world and attach ourselves to them as though they'll bring us satisfaction. They never, ever will. But as we reverence him, as we teach our sons and grandsons to fear God, as we teach them to, listen, not just make the great confession. It's one thing to make a great confession, but do you obey the great commandment? And do you make the great commitment where the commandment, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving God with my whole being, listen, not just mouthing words, but loving him, listen, with my will, the choices that I make day in and day out. 
where I want his will, not my will, to be done. That, that, that as the psalmist would say, it's written in a scroll, I delight to do thy will. Why? Because well, you say, Pastor Chris, I can't do his will. Yeah, in your own flesh and strength, neither can I. That's why we need grace. <laughs> Praise God, that's available every day. Grace, where you and I die to self, the Spirit of God who comes and dwells within us enables us to keep the law that we could never do in our flesh. That's why the new covenant is written that way. It's written in this way, and it's what Jesus promised us. Listen, the new covenant is this. I'm going to put my law inside of them, internalize it, and I'm going to put my spirit there as well. And it's the spirit that enables us to live the life we could never live in our own strength. I mean, you're trying harder, trying to do better as a, as a believer, and you're doing it in your own strength, you'll never, ever do it. Never. In fact, you'll get frustrated. Man, I, I should have gotten that right. I should. You live by grace. You, you, you surrender to grace. You recognize, I can't do it. I'm depending on Christ's righteousness, not my own. But now, Lord, transform my life as I depend on you. Lord, change the way I think. Change the way I want to. Change the way I live as I rest and trust in you. And how do you do that? We obey. We internalize the word. That's the great commitment. There's what does it say in verse 6. These words... Right? That I'm teaching you, that I'm instructing you. These words which I command you today, they shall be internalized. They shall be in your heart. God's law is always what he wanted to put, not on stones. He wanted to put on the tablets of our heart. Listen now, listen. If i got a hard heart and I'm unwilling to be taught, then I need God to, to break that, that ground in my heart. I need some good soil there so the word can be planted and the spirit of God can take that and begin transforming my life. And it's a day-by-day thing. You're not going to get there tomorrow, okay? We got a whole life, a whole journey before us, and it's day-by-day. I just want to grow in God's grace. I want to grow by his mercy. I want to grow in my understanding of his word. And there's things that God's working on me. He's working on you. But listen, the orientation of my heart is I want to love him supremely because there's none like him. And I want to put him first in my life. I don't want the things of this world. It's a love because God is a, is a jealous and a zealous God. He will not allow a rival in your heart or mind. And so we put to death the, the flesh. We put to death the things we long for. And we realize, listen, I want to live for the one who loved me first. Desire him supremely. Yearn for him. Hunger for him. Hunger to hear him speak. Like a deer that pants for the water. That God would speak to us. And man, when you've tasted, when you've seen that God is good, you just want more. Oh, Lord, I want more. Give me more. I want more from my heart. Hey, I want more from my home. I want more from my bride. I want more from my children, from my grandchildren, for the descendants after me. God, that's what I want. Do we love him supremely? Because that's what he's worthy of. Why? He set his love on us. You see, we were wretched and poor. We had nothing. Christ came to die for you and for me. I mean, Christmas is a celebration of the incarnation, but it's, it's a reminder he was born to die. He was born to give his life as a ransom for many. He came and he set his face like a flint to march to that tree where he would hang for you and for me and purchase our redemption. And God has demonstrated his love there. There's nothing more that needs to be shown to you. You can't say, well, I wish God would do this. No, he's shown you and me enough already. The question is, will I repent? And put my faith and trust in that sacrifice that was offered 
at Calvary. If you've never done that, we invite you to do that today. The first service, we baptized a, a couple that, that made that profession of faith in my office. And, and they just wanted to follow the Lord in obedience to believer's baptism. Doing what God commands us to do. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, you know what? I need to profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I need to repent of my sins. And I need to realize there's only one who can save me. There's only one God. Who's provided one way of redemption. Listen, all the gods and all the worship, listen, all of, they're not made from the same pavement. All right? They're not all going to the same place. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. Maybe God's led you here to South River Baptist Church, and you realize, you know what? I've made that great confession, and I obey that great commandment, and that great commitment, but I, I want to plant my life here and take this word to a world around us who desperately needs to hear it. To stand for truth, to speak the truth in love. And God's led us here in a moment. We're going to have the altar open for any who need to make a profession or who need to come and become a part of this church. Or maybe just get on the altar and say, you know what, I've, I've had some misoriented love in my life and I've not loved God supremely as I ought to. And I just want to repent of that. And God, I just want my life to be changed. I want to leave the doors that I came in different than when I came today. And I just want to say, God, I love you. I'm thankful that you first loved me. And Lord, I'm thankful you revealed something in my life. I, I, want, I want to live in a way finding my pleasure, my delight, my satisfaction in you, in you alone. We all have heard God speak. The word's been opened. God's spoken. The question is how will I respond to what God has said? And if the Spirit of God is convicting this morning, listen, that's a cue. Listen, I need to respond in faith and in obedience to what I'm commanded to do. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads this morning. And our eyes are closed and the altar is open. The pianist will play softly here and give us an opportunity to respond as the Spirit of God has spoken to us today. So if God's Word has spoken to you and you've heard God speak and said, Listen, this is a decision that I need to make. Then now is the time to do that. We don't stand. We don't sing. We just listen to, the, we listen to what the Spirit may be saying for us to do. And my encouragement is, you, is to always just trust and obey. If there's a decision you need to make, something perhaps you're wrestling with, struggling with, then there's pastors here that'll pray with you and deacons and deacons' brides as well. If you're walking through a valley and you're wrestling and struggling and there's anxiety in your heart, we encourage you to trust in the Lord, cast in on Him, and maybe we can just pray with you for that. If you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never trusted in Him, then we invite you, encourage you, we implore you, do that today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to accept Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him as Lord.